production. Now to your host. Good evening, everybody. Hope everybody had a fantastic day. This is the VSN Roundtable. I'm going to be your lead host tonight for a while. My name is Josh Edwards. With me, I have our Blues Notes and NHL specialist, Brandon Moore, and then my co-host from the seventh inning stretch and Cardinals Chronicles, Logan Stone, uh, doing a remote for us tonight while he's on vacation. Uh, It's a very special episode this evening. What? Uh, I was going to say I'm in a dark, desolate wasteland known as St. Louis. Whatever, you're in in St. Louis. Uh, Very special episode tonight. We have a very, very special guest, a St. Louis legend joining us straight from 101 ESPN. Randy Character is with us this evening, so I'm going to bring him on in. Here we go. Randy, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks. Great to be with you. I appreciate it. Vacationing in St. Louis. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perfect time, too. I mean, good Lord. They were like, oh, it's cold over here. It's 60 degrees. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's a hundred degrees in Texas. I needed, I needed this. I, was, I need a little bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, welcome to the show, uh, Randy. No, great to be here with you guys. Thank you. No, so, problem. Randy, um, join us. Obviously, we know who you are. We all follow you. We're big fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but for our followers who maybe don't necessarily know a lot about you, can you give us a little uh, intro, a bio on yourself? How you got started? How long you been in the business? Where you been? What you got going on next? Sure. Yeah. Next year will be amazingly 40 years in the industry for me. I went to Lindenwood here in St. Louis, so I've never left St. Louis. I started as a full-time employee at KMOX, the home of the Cardinals, when I was in college. And I worked there for 18 years. And then I left to pursue not only another radio job, but a television job where I stayed for five years, the, the radio job at 550 KTRS, and then a decade for Charter Communications, which is now Spectrum Communications, and did a, a TV show there. And we did high school basketball and football and hockey and and baseball. We had a great time doing that. But as that started to dissipate in 2008, I got an offer to join a new all-sports station here in town, 101 ESPN. We started up on January 1st of 09, and I've been there ever since. I did the afternoons for about 11 years, and then for the last couple of years, I have been doing the morning. So I'm on 7 to 10 every morning on 101 ESPN. And you can obviously, obviously listen uh, not only on FM here in St. Louis, but on the 101 ESPN app. That's typically where I found you was on the app when I was doing my driving and when I was working in the mornings. So I um, always love hearing you on the radio. Um, really love the chemistry that you and Michelle had when she was with the show. Obviously, some uh, an opportunity presented itself to her, so she took it. Good for her. Hope only the best for her. And uh, who's your new host again? It's Kerry Davis, the Super Bowl champion fullback from the Steelers from the 08 season. Kerry played about eight years in the NFL. He was with Tampa. He was with Indianapolis. He played with Peyton Manning there. Three years with the Steelers and won the Super Bowl in 2008 over Arizona. And for the last five years, has been the head coach at Hazelwood Central, here in town and has always filled in and done a really good job for us. He knows all sports, not just football. And he feels like a natural. We've only been on the air together for almost three weeks. And it feels like we've been together for three or four months. He's a pro and he's a lot of fun to listen to. And he's a pleasure to be with in the morning. He's one of those guys that walks in at six 30 in the morning and he's got a smile on his face. We all know what it's like to work with somebody who's happy and he's happy. Oh, of course. 
That's it's really nice to talk about the 1999 St. Louis Rams all the time, right? I never get tired of it. We can't talk that's about a, the L.A. Rams for Rams yeah, anymore. That's, yeah, that's my favorite team every week, guys, is the team that's playing the L.A. Rams. That's my new favorite <laughs> yeah, NFL right. team. <laughs> Ours, too. <laughs> good, sure. good to hear. <laughs> so um, I want to start off by asking you, you know, right now, because I'm the Cardinals guy, so I want to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, we've been promised how – 2022 for a couple of years now uh, is going to be the year uh, for the Cardinals. And um, at the beginning of the year, I was a little bit disappointed that they didn't go out, go out and get anyone. Um, but it seems like once they got Quintana, Montgomery, and even, uh, oh, oh gosh, the reliever who's Stratton, Stratton, Stratton. Stratton. Um, we just, I mean, we've just been on a, it's felt better. Um, we felt more complete. Obviously, the offense is uh, a little bit down. Uh, do you feel confident in this team going into the postseason? Because I feel confident in the wild card round. I kind of feel like with how the Mets have been playing lately, uh, facing the Mets, um, even the Braves to a certain extent. Uh, the Dodgers, though, they worry me, and the Astros and the Yankees kind of wor- worry me, too. Um, where are you at on this? Yeah, I wouldn't pick the Cardinals to win the World Series, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. And here's why. Because they have pitching. You mentioned going out and getting Quintana and Montgomery. And Adam Wainwright told us yesterday on the show that his he's passed his dead arm period. What happened was, remember a couple of weeks ago when he got hit on the knee with a batted ball and his knee swelled up and he started favoring the knee and it messed up his mechanics. But he thinks he found something in Milwaukee to fix his mechanics. He worked for a couple of hours on Tuesday. And so hopefully on Sunday, what we see from Wainwright is what we saw most of the season. Uh, Flaherty looked great in his last start. Michaelis looked great in his last start. They need to get Jordan Montgomery going. But the way I look at it is, and I'm convinced, I have no worries at all about Goldschmidt and Arenado in the postseason. So what I'm thinking is, for example, if you like what you have seen from Wainwright, who's dominant at home, and so is Miles Michaelis. If you can get a win at home, even if it takes three games, I don't feel bad going into New York and having Jack Flaherty pitch against Jacob DeGrom. I could very easily see a game like that be 1-1 in the seventh inning. Now, you have to win it in the eighth or in extra innings because you're probably not going to beat Edwin Diaz, but I like the Cardinals' offense better than I like the Mets. I do think that the best team in the league right now is Atlanta, and I think Atlanta would pr- provide the biggest challenge. You mentioned the Dodgers, 107 wins, and it's funny. Everybody t- buddy that I talk to on a national basis about the Dodgers thinks they're really vulnerable, especially with the back end of their bullpen. They just benched Kimbrell. Mm. They say they're going to have a, bull- a closer by committee, and they've got some injuries in their rotation. Julio Urias, who leads the league in ERA, not a big strikeout guy, but it'll probably be Kershaw and Urias in their first two games. But I don't think the Dodgers are a team that we have to worry about right now. What we have to concentrate as St. Louis fans is on whether it's Milwaukee, Philadelphia, or San Diego, uh, just getting two at home. And the Cardinals, I I believe still that there's only one team in the National League with more home wins than the Cardinals, and that's the Dodgers. So the Cardinals should be in pretty good shape at home. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, Josh, do you have a question at the moment? Just to piggyback on that, since we're on the Cardinals right now, um, Logan and I have been talking about this all season long. Um, 
I called Pools hitting seven the seven hundred home runs. I called him getting to the RBIs too. Um, and then I also took the Cardinals to win the World Series at the beginning of the season because, and yeah, a little bit of a homer, but I said because Albert came home, Yachty's last season, Wayno potentially last season may not be. We don't know. I'm big on the storybook ending, so I just thought, screw it. I'm taking the Cardinals to win the World Series. <laughs> good, good play. Um, and, and that was yeah. my prediction. I, you know, I got the 700 with Albert. I'm hoping he, I'm hoping since we're playing Pittsburgh, he just kind of lights them up and gets the RBI record, and or at least passes Ruth. He's not going to catch Hank, obviously. Um, do you think Albert's going to get the RBIs in this last two series with Pittsburgh? And then we kind of just covered the playoffs. Do you think there's any chance that if the Cardinals make that deep run? that they can take whoever comes out of the AL in the World Series. Well, uh, let's start with your prediction. Congratulations on that. When the Cardinals signed Pujols, I said, hey, I still think the Cardinals are the seventh or eighth best team in the league, but they're going to be a whole lot more fun. I figured at that point that the Mets, Phillies, Braves, Padres, Dodgers, Giants, and Brewers – uh, were all as good as or better than the Cardinals. Remember, the Giants were coming off a 107-win season. Obviously, they fell off this year. I did not expect Pujols to get to 700 home runs, and he's been a big part of the reason that they can do some damage in the postseason. If, if magic would occur and the Cardinals would get the perfect draw and get through the National League to the World Series, the only I'm not as concerned about the Yankees as I am about the Astros. And I think it's those two, right, for the American League. Right. Houston's yeah. starting pitching. And, oh, their overall pitching is so good, and uh, their offense is as good as it was in 2017 when they were cheating. So I, I think Houston is really going to be tough. I still think, guys, that the, the team that, despite their recent struggles, the team that scares me most is the Mets because of DeGrom and Scherzer at the front of the, that rotation. And, and then Carrasco and Chris Bassett. I mean, they're, they're really good. And they're also a team under Buck Showalter that has the ability to manufacture runs. So many analytically inclined teams don't have the propensity to run, steal bases, hit and run. And Buck Showalter is willing to gamble. He's willing to play old school. And when you can pitch and know that you're only going to allow one or two runs, you can play for one or two runs. So I think the, the Mets are particularly dangerous because they aren't an analytics-driven team. Yeah. yeah, that was one thing that I was talking with the family before uh, kind of coming on here tonight and because we were kind of looking at the different, uh, I guess, scenarios that could be kind of played out. And obviously the two, the three kind of set ones is the uh, Dodgers, Mets, and us. And the, the one kind of scenario that we were all kind of really skeptical with was the second round, which we're going to be more or less, if we win this first round, go on to the second round and possibly pace it. We will be playing the Mets if we do make it to the second round. Well, the Mets and Braves are tied right now, and they play this yeah. weekend. Oh, they are? Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, but either Atlanta, I know what yeah. you're saying. Six and one half doesn't need the other. They're both great, right? Yeah. So uh, it was kind of up in the air with where we're going to be at on the second round. If it's going to be more of a possibility of winning, just because the Mets and the Braves, we both have had kind of troubles with them during the regular season. So it would be kind of hard, I guess, is 
see them going past the second round with the record that we've kind of seen this season. The one thing is, though, the Cardinals were not playing well when they played the Mets, and I think they went two and five against the Mets, and that was yeah. before they got Montgomery and Quintana. Yeah. Since they got those guys, they did take two out of three from Atlanta, and the one thing that the Cardinals have going for them, uh, among many, but they don't make mistakes to beat themselves. They're the best, if not the second best, defense in the National League, and there are a lot of teams, and I think Atlanta's one of those, where if you just play good, clean baseball, eventually another team is going to find a way to beat itself. And with Albies out uh, and with the, the, some of the deficiencies they have with their outfield defense, I think that's a team that, you, that has a chance to beat itself. As great as the, the Braves pitching is, I think the Cardinals, if they play clean baseball, that's a series they can win. And that's a big part of the reason that I think they'll win in the first round, whether it's Milwaukee or Philadelphia, especially Philadelphia, mm-hmm. or San Diego – those teams have a propensity to make mistakes to cause them to lose games. And I, and I really do think that that's one of the big reasons the Cardinals will be a favorite in the first round. For sure. Well, we're going to welcome in Brandon Saffle. He's our CEO, the creator, our leader, our president, whatever you want to call him. He's the guy who brought us all together and started this 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 thing that we have together, this brotherhood we have, and enjoying our sports, our home teams. Um, he's another St. Louis guy, obviously, you can tell by his background. Um, but, Seth, <laughs> more, more uh, hockey, more than baseball. Uh, hey, Prez. How you doing, Randy? I appreciate should, you should, coming should, on. No problem. Should I just call you Prez or CEO or <laughs> Brandon? <laughs> Brandon's fine. Um, I don't like the term. Sometimes they call me CEO all the time, and I'm like, no, you, you don't have to call me that because then it makes me feel like I'm a few. And I'm just <laughs> gotcha. Yes, doing this sir. With okay, <laughs> <laughs> just doing this for fun, like the rest of them are. But it's uh, um, kind of put on put on my back to to keep things running and rolling, and uh, we're definitely having fun with it. That's for sure. But we definitely appreciate you coming on tonight. Glad to well. be here. Thanks. I'm glad you're having fun. That's what it's all about. Right. Well, Another. Right. Another question, Gorman or DeYoung at the moment? Who makes the playoffs right now? It's got to be Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung's an elite defensive shortstop, and when the Cardinals get into a, a, an eighth, ninth inning, if they have Donovan at second and Edmund at short, I would still move Edmund over to second and play DeYoung at short. Nolan Gorman's – I'm talking about making mistakes to lose you games. Nolan Gorman's the kind of guy that right now at this stage of his career, if he's playing second base – inevitably in a big situation is going to make a, a mistake to cause you to lose the game. And by the way, he has not hit well since he went back to Memphis either. So I really would be surprised if he were on the yeah. postseason roster. Yeah. Sure. Some of the guys, I know Josh and I, we talked about it last night uh, with how the rosters kind of shape up uh, towards the postseason. Uh, if there would be a possibility, of, I probably won't see any playing time or anything, but if we saw, uh, Walker up with the team, not as a positional role, but as a backup in case if like we go into long innings and in, in a game somewhere or something. Just because I know he's been playing pretty well uh, in the in the minors. Yeah, Mo was pretty dead set on not bringing him up when the trade deadline came and went. I asked Mo about the possibility of him coming up in September, and he said, "No, we want to just give him an opportunity to keep getting better offensively." And guys, you got to remember. He never played the outfield until August 
second until the Cardinals made the trades for Montgomery and Quintana and uh, opened up that spot when they traded Bader for him to, to play the outfield eventually. But even if the Cardinals keep 14 guys on that first-round roster, I don't think that they'll bring Jordan Walker up. I don't think that we'll see Jordan Walker in St. Louis. He's going to go down, I think, again and play in the Arizona Fall League. I wouldn't be surprised if he were the Cardinals' opening day right fielder in 2023. But I, I don't think that at this stage, especially with the players they have coming back, apparently Tyler O'Neill is close to coming back and they've got Yepes back now. I, I don't think that they would feel it would serve Walker best or them best to have Walker up here. Are you surprised that he's not been brought up to Triple A yet? No, because right now your developmental area really is Double A. There's not a whole lot of guys that play significant amounts of time at Triple A now. And I think this year the Cardinals wanted to get him settled and into a spot where he was really comfortable offensively. And I think they've reached that spot. He was so good and so confident. And I think the gap has narrowed so dramatically between double A AA and triple A that they feel like they can develop a guy just as well at the triple or at the double A level. So I'm not surprised that they didn't move him up. And then you also have to keep in mind that they wanted to keep people ready for the major league level, like a Corey Spangenberg, who is down at Memphis uh, for a good portion of this year. They had uh, the uh, Kramer Robertson who was playing infield down there. Uh, for a long time, DeYoung was playing infield down there, uh, and Gorman. So there really wasn't an opportunity for him to go and develop at AAA because they wanted to keep guys sharp in case they needed him here at the major league level. Makes sense. Um, I know, well, Jordan, he's kind of popping into the comments here and there, but uh, he, he did ask a question uh, not too long ago about, uh, yeah, uh, who's you think will be the outfield for 2023 with it seems like there's been a lot of pieces kind of coming and going, putting Carlson in, in uh, center. And then Newt Barr obviously has been probably one of the more consistent guys that we've had on the outfield. And then left field has kind of been all over the place since uh, O'Neill has been kind of injury prone here lately. And every we've had, a lot of guys kind of going in and out of the outfield, but who do you think would probably be the set uh, deal for 2023? Yeah, it's, it's difficult to project, isn't it? Because O'Neill is the X factor. He's heading into his free agent year. The next year will be his sixth year of service time. And I would guess the Cardinals will try to move him. I know that they want to get Walker into the lineup next year. I don't know if it's opening day. I'm yep. guessing that Newt Barr will be there. Dylan Carlson's going to be their center fielder. That's why they traded Harrison Bader, because they are so confident in Dylan Carlson in center field. And I think Newt Barr will get an opportunity. So then it comes down to what do they feel about Walker after his year at A? Do they feel like he's ready to make the jump and be ready for opening day next year? And would Tyler O'Neill be more valuable to them than what they could get for Tyler O'Neill in his free agent year, maybe the thing to do is to hope that he can stay healthy for for three or four months next year, maybe move him at the trade deadline next year. I think it was valuable, by the way, when Carlson was out, that O'Neill played a good center field because there are so many teams in baseball that are looking for a center fielder that can hit. And if the guy could just stay healthy, and I'm sure there's teams out there that believe they can keep him healthy. It, it, 
he would be a really valuable commodity for a lot of teams. For sure. Yeah. So I got the ultimate question, I guess. Okay. <clears throat> Does Nolan opt out at the end of the season? Oh. No chance. No. Well, See? I won't say no chance. 99.99 <laughs> chance that he stays here. He loves St. Louis. He loves his teammates. Gold, uh, Paul Goldschmidt is his best friend now in all of baseball. There is no pressure. He's got $35 million a year coming for the next five years. No guarantee that at the age of 32, he would get that kind of a deal. And I don't know what more he could ask for. He came to St. Louis with the idea that he wanted to win. Well, he made the playoffs last year. He won the division this year. The Cardinals have done things to help their team each year. Now, guys, I remember after Paul Goldschmidt's first year here, I was at a dinner with him, and I think it was Edmund and Flaherty might have been the rookies of the year. And I said, isn't it amazing how these guys just keep bringing up young players? And he said, hey, that's the reason I'm here, because I know what they do. I see it every year. I see that they compete every year and give their team a chance. And that's exactly what Nolan Arenado wanted as he left Colorado. And there aren't going to be many better opportunities to win on a consistent basis than there are here in St. Louis. Oh, God, no. Because, I mean, that – it seems like almost every year the Cardinals have some sort of way to make it into the playoffs, even if they don't, they may not have the elite prospect or players or anything like what other teams do, but they, they're in a way kind of like what the blues are in a way they get the, the, the right pieces in the right time. Yep. And they are just made able to make those consistent runs. And that's what draws a lot of these elite players to a city like St. Louis. I mean, the, almost like the hot corners at Nolan and Goldie, they it, just seeing some of the plays that they've made this season. And even in the past couple of seasons, especially this season is just unreal. The, the amount of chemistry that they bring to the team and be able to make yeah. some of the plays that they make. And it really becomes their team next year, right? With, Yachty leaving and Albert leaving, and make no mistake about it, this became Albert's clubhouse very quickly in this season. But next yeah. year with those guys gone, Arenado and Goldschmidt can kind of set the tone in that clubhouse. And another thing that players will keep in mind, I think more than a lot of fans, think about this guy. Since the end of 2010, when the Cardinals missed the playoffs in the 2010 season, this is 12 years now. The Cardinals have played a grand total of five games in which they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. In 2016, they were eliminated on the last game of the season. 2017, they were eliminated in game number 161, so they played one game where they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. And then in 2018, the third of the three consecutive years where they missed the playoffs, they got eliminated in game 158. So 159, 160, 161, and 162 were played without a playoff chance. Five games in 12 years where they didn't have a chance to make the playoffs. And players recognize that because all you need to do, as we saw with Atlanta late last year when they won 88 games, get into the tournament and you have a chance to win the World Series. Of course. 100%. I know I've talked to, to Logan and Josh during some of the, the seventh inning stretch and Cardinal Chronicle shows that we have about just the uh, way the Cardinals develop, like their the farm system and how they continuously bring up you know, the, the, the players who are, who kind of take that next step right when you need them to, 
not necessarily two or three years down the line, but you look in September, October, um, when you really need those guys to step up, they're able to to bring them in. And even at the trade deadline, like with Quint- uh, mm-hmm. Quintana and Montgomery this year, um, I mean, those are two guys that I think most people in St. Louis were like, well, this would, this doesn't seem like a good idea. Why didn't we go get Soto? You know, some of the bigger names out there. And um, now you're looking at, you know, division champs and, you know, who knows where else this, this team can, can lead. And think about this too. When you go out and get those two pitchers, you're giving up Bader, who you developed, and the two minor leaguers, Oviedo and the, the young third baseman, to Pittsburgh. You use prospects for that, too. The Cardinals have had 13 different players make their major league debuts this year. And as we all know, this is not a team. We just gave the stat about how few games they play without a playoff chance. So they aren't drafting high, but they're finding players. And right now, if I'm not mistaken, the Cardinals, of all teams in Major League Baseball, have the most homegrown players of, of any team, which is really remarkable when you consider the fact that they don't draft high at all. They never have a top 10 pick, but they're no. still getting really good players out of the draft. So let me ask you this, because Brandon brought it up, and Juan Soto, I have a fond uh, fondness of him, you could say. Um, <laughs> I was, yeah, right. Um, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get Juan Soto at the deadline, um, but I was listening, I think it was the fast lane yesterday, and one of the guys mentioned, you know, why is it that we're not, we were not, we were disappointed, but we weren't shocked that the Cardinals didn't go out and get a Juan Soto at the deadline. Um, and it seems like a, the last couple of years, you know, this year they went and got Matt's. Um, they could have got, they were in on Stroman. They were in on a couple other guys, but they don't actually go out and get these guys. And, and it seems like there's these big holes that they need to fill at the beginning of the season, like, um, and the relief pitching and the starting pitching, and even another bat. Um, is there, like, do you find that kind of concerning as a fan? I mean, I understand we compete every year, but we're in one of the weaker divisions. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of like one of your, like, dude, we, if we want to be truly dominant in the playoffs, we got to go out and get somebody, right? Like, we can't just get, you know, Verhagen from Jap- Japan. And that's it, right? Right. And, and by the way, the Cardinals, you know, they got Michaelis. They've got Sumuano. They, they've done a pretty good job of scouting over there. And Verhagen didn't yep. work out. I mean, it was a bad offseason. There's no two ways about it with yeah. Verhagen and Nick Wickren and Aaron Brooks. And Dickerson only had really one good month. Albert has been worth the money. But the, uh, free agents-wise, yeah. the Mats has been a wash this year. It was it was a bad Uh, free agency season or or player acquisition season for the Cardinals. But one thing they do is they build a unit. They don't, they don't need they and this is just philosophically what they do. They don't feel like they need to build an all-star team like the Padres have done. And even though they have ballpark village and even though they draw a lot of fans, they do work within the confines of a budget and their philosophy ever since the DeWitt ownership got here has been to draft, develop, and then fill in around those young players with stars. And Bill DeWitt, no doubt about it, he likes having stars, and that's why you have Arenado, Goldschmidt, Pujols, Wainwright, Molina. You you have those guys. But the Cardinals also have a great deal of confidence in their ability to develop players. And if you look at the Dodgers, uh, Cody Bellinger was developed by them. Trace Thompson originally developed by them. You look at a guy like Urias, developed by them. Uh, Walker Bueller, Kershaw, Will Smith, uh, developed by them. They they lost obviously 
Seeger, but uh, d developed by them. Uh, back in 2003 or 2004, one of those playoff years, Stan Kasten, the president of the Dodgers, was in their dugout. And there was a, a media scrum around him. And somebody asked what his ultimate vision was for the Dodgers because they'd made that big trade with Boston to get uh, Carl Crawford and they got uh, Adrian Gonzalez and spent a ton of money. And he pointed over to the Cardinal dugout and he said, well, that's the model over there. And if you look at what the Dodgers have done, essentially, uh, with a higher payroll, they've developed their team the way the Cardinals have. There is uh, a method to the Cardinals' madness. Boston will collect high-priced players and then pass them off and finish in last place and then collect more, pass them off and finish in last place. You look at the Padres, who have never won a World Series, and they've had multiple seasons where they've collected stars and uh, they pass them off to the side. The, the Cubs had their little dynasty, right, with, with all their stars that they developed, and then they just stopped being able to draft well. So I really don't have a problem with the, the way the Cardinals conduct their business. If they would have had to give up Walker and Carlson to get Juan Soto, I think that would have been a bad deal. And I also don't think they'd be in the playoffs. Hmm. Thank you, Randy. Thank you for speaking <laughs> sense to Logan. <laughs> it didn't sound like sense. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, here, let me say, let, let me tell you something. And you guys might have heard heard me say it on the radio before. But one time, Cardinals were having a bad year. It was 1986, and they had, they had all kinds of injuries. Jack Clark was injured, and there were guys beat up. And I, I asked, I was standing down in the clubhouse with Mike Shannon, and I said, "How do you think we fix this?" And he said, "Big boy." There's three things for playoff baseball teams, pitching, pitching, and pitching. And he's 100% right. It was right in 1986. It's right in 2022. The sport's all about pitching. Why are the Mets great? Because they have great pitching. Why are the Dodgers great? Because they have great pitching. Why did the Yankees have a terrible August? Because their pitching went downhill. Why are the Astros great? Because they can pitch. That's what it's all about, and that's what the Cardinals do well, is when they have a need, they go out and fill those pitching needs. And that's first and foremost what you need to do if you're going to have a winning franchise. But, by the way, look at the way the – Nationals were built with Juan Soto and with Anthony Rendon. Why did they win? Because they had a healthy Strasburg, because they had Max Scherzer, because they had Patrick Corbin pitching well, Anibal Sanchez pitching well. Heck, I think the Cardinals scored two runs against them in the NLCS that year. They won because they could pitch. Yeah. Sorry, I just got PTSD no from that year. So. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody was beating the Nationals that year. Don't get PTSD. Nobody was going to beat them. <laughs> They were, they were a team at the at the time. Like, you, you look at some of the playoff teams in the past. Like, you, you kind of look at Colorado, like the Avalanche this year. They were kind of the same kind of like you were going to have to pull some some strings out of the bag to, to beat them. And uh, it was, same, way, same way with the Nationals that year. They were, they were just – they found ways to win. During the it was so odd because, like, a couple weeks earlier, we played them in a series, and we just destroyed them. And then, and then two weeks later, they acted like they were like the greatest team of all time. It was so odd to me that they just made that turnaround in 2019. Yeah, and I think they were. I think they were 31 and 50, and then went yeah. on the incredible run. And that's another thing with the Cardinals is, and John Mozeliak said it after they made these trades. He said, "Hey, we're hoping that we can get into the postseason and get hot." And ordinarily. Sometimes the best team wins, 
But ordinarily, it's the team that's playing best at the end of the season. I think we could argue yeah. that all three of the Giants championships, they weren't the best team, but they wound up playing best at the end. I would argue that Tony Lewis's two worst playoff teams in St. Louis were the 06 and 11 teams 06. that won the World Series. Last year, you got the Giants winning 107, the Dodgers winning 106, and the Cardinals won 90. Who wins the World Series? The 88 win Atlanta Braves. So it's not the best mm-hmm. team. It's the team playing best at the end. Yeah. We got another question in on our line here. It's from uh, one of our guys in the VSN network. He wants to know if you think we will re-sign Jordan Montgomery. He understands we have him for one more year. Uh, he seems to like it here. Do you think Montgomery re-signs and sticks around? I think there's a real good chance of that. He does like it here. He and Wayno have become very close. Wayno says that Montgomery's personality, just even the way he talks and his voice, remind him of the personality of Michael Waka. And... I, I would think that, yeah, if, if Montgomery performs next year, I, I can't imagine that Wayno, if he pitches next year, would pitch beyond next season. And it doesn't look like Matthew Libertor is going to turn into the kind of guy that Jordan Montgomery already is. So I think it makes sense for the Cardinals to talk to Montgomery about an extension because he's passed his arm injuries now. He's big. He's got really good stuff. I think that's a great idea. If I were the Cardinals next spring, you're going to sign probably a couple of guys to long-term contracts. I would think that Tommy Edmond will get a long-term deal, but I think it will be smart for them to talk to Montgomery too because Mats is going to be here. Michaelis is going to be here. Flaherty is going to be here for at least one more year. Uh, so I, I think it would be smart to have a guy like Jordan Montgomery around as well. Mm-hmm. And I heard you make a comment about it earlier whenever you're talking about it's the last years for Yachty and Pujols, but, uh, and you just made another comment about it as well. Do you think Wayno will be sticking around for a little bit longer? Because I know at the beginning of the season, it seemed like the three of them were going to be kind of calling it possibly quits after this year. But it, here lately, I haven't really heard anything about Wayno quitting or if he's going to – uh, retiring or anything. So it was kind of a question in mind if he was going to be going out with his buddies or if he was going to stick around for possibly another year or so. Guys, I, I'm on your show, so I'll name drop. I was with Wayno for a couple of hours today. He honestly doesn't know. And part of it is his family. Yeah. He's got two daughters that are in high school. That's pulling him obviously one way, but he loves to compete. I mean, he loves to compete and that's pulling him, the fact that he can still do it. And I don't know if he knows completely if he's done. And one of the things that he's told me multiple times over the years is Jeff Supon, one time they were sitting in the dugout, and Supon said, hey, before you retire, make sure that you're done and that it's out of your system. Don't do a Brett Favre type thing. And I think that the competitiveness of Wayno will, if he comes back, that'll be the reason that he comes back because he's addicted to it and he's, he's healthy right now. I talked to Chris Carpenter after he retired and we were talking about playing golf and I, he he was playing a lot. And I said, does that really, does that feed your competitive outlet? And about 10 seconds, he paused. He, He looks down, looks back up, looks me in the eye and says, dude, I was pitching in the world series there's nothing that's going to fill that competitive outlet for me. And I kind of think, no. I, I think Adam is the exact same way. I, I think it'll be very difficult for him to find some th- something that will fill that competitive hole that he would have if he retired. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think honestly, 
the uh, the last inning stuff that's already putting him in with uh, Albert and saying, oh, this is your goodbye. I think that's honestly feeding him because I remember a couple years ago he used to say, oh, people walked up to me and used to, and said, oh, you were so good. And he was like, were? I, I still am good. And so I think he's going to come back another year. And honestly, I the beginning of the season, he was looking really good. Uh, and I, I obviously he had that dead arm thing that kind of lingered for a little bit. And, but I think, honestly, he could come back another season. And I, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, I would too. If you go into a season next year, with Wainwright, Michaelis, Montgomery, Mats, and hopefully a healthy Flaherty, that's pretty representative starting rotation right there. I, I would certainly take my chances with that. Now, do I want some depth? Absolutely. I don't know if it's going to be Quintana-type depth. I would think that he's earned himself a pretty good contract with this stretch here, but I do think they need something more substantial than Libertor and Zach Thompson and uh, even Graceffo, who they like a lot, the minor leaguer. I, I think that they would it would behoove them to have another guy capable of starting, not Jordan Hicks. Thank you. Not Jordan <laughs> Hicks. Yeah. He's yeah. more like Hicks, a reliever slash closer type guy. Yeah, it's, yeah. This is still a sport where I think you need to get innings. And I, I don't see a scenario in which Hicks is ever going to be more than a three or four inning guy for you. Do you guys? I, I He never did it. I, I just don't see it. Yeah. I think I, I, I think what, what he's got. They just need to figure out a way to make him a consistent closer, a shutdown closer, much like um, Araldus Chapman was back in the day, just a flamethrower, 15 pitches, K everybody, close it out, be done with it. I mean, Helsley's been ungodly awesome this year. I never saw this coming from him, and he's got the hardest, fastest pitch in the league this year now, overtaking Hicks. Um, So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe another year of working maybe seventh inning, eighth inning, I mean, could you imagine, Randy, an eighth inning where it's Hicks throwing fire and then Helsley comes in for the ninth to shut it down? Yeah. I mean, good God. We would be ridiculously amazing. Now, one thing to keep an eye on for next year and years beyond, guys, is the pitch clock is going to change things dramatically Mm -hmm. because kids are taught to throw at max effort. Then they're taking 25 to 30 seconds to get that arm to recover and recharge so they can throw 100 again. Well, now... Nobody on base you have to throw within 15 seconds. Somebody on base you have to throw within 20. My friend Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, did a minor league game with the pitch clock, and he said the guys that were 98-99 within a dozen pitches were 93-94. Guys are going to have to learn how to pitch with the pitch clock now because there just isn't time for that arm to recover and consistently throw 100-mile-an-hour pitches. So Hicks especially, Gallegos is going to be a different animal altogether because he takes like 35, 40 seconds between pitches. I I think some guys on the Cardinals are really going to be dramatically affected by the pitch clock, and I would have Jordan Hicks at the top of that list. Yeah. I would agree with you. Good point. Um, Aside from the new pitch clock rule, how do you feel about the uh, uh, the they're implementing with the uh, the infield uh, rule where you can't with the switch? Well, I I like everything. Okay, I like the fact that they're going to have bigger bases. So right now the bases are 15 inches. They're going to expand them to 18 inches, and so that'll that right there will take six inches off between first and second. So those 
and they're going to move second base in. Second base right now is actually half on the outfield, half on the infield. Home plate is all the way on the infield. You know how home plate is set up. So they're going to move second base in, so it's actually completely on the infield. So you're going to have an extra 10 or so inches between first and second and second and third. Those bang-bang plays on steal attempts will be much more to the advantage of the runner now. I like that. I want baseball to bring athleticism back into the game. I grew up, not grew up, but my introduction to quality baseball was Whitey Ball and the spectacular defense that the Cardinals played in the 80s. Now, without the shift, you're going to have to be able to play second base. You can't have Mike Moustakis or Max Muncy play in second base because they just don't have enough range. So it'll be guys like Edmund that are playing the infield for successful teams. And I, I love the fact that they're bringing that part of the game back. And then the pitch clock uh, is going to be great. The only thing that I, I need now is my robot umpire. If, if I have a robot umpire calling balls and strikes, I'm golden. Really? Oh, yeah. No. Why? What do you have against nice. it? What's the problem with it? I love it. So no, this is he, like, Logan and I have had multiple debates on this. I'm a traditionalist. He so loves I'm, Angel Hernandez. No, I think Angel Hernandez. So I think the umpires should have – you know how in European soccer – they have relegation where when a team's really bad, they get dumped. I think the ump should be on a relegation system where they're graded every week. And when an ump does poorly, they should be sent down to AAA. And the, good the problem AAA with that, though, is that the umpire's union is as strong as the player's union is. That's why Angel Hernandez still has a job. C.B. Bucknor yeah. still has a job. There's no way that the umpire's union would ever agree to something like that. No. Ah, okay, I didn't even think That's about why. the union. Look, yeah. you know, Logan, you never brought the union, so I never thought about it. Yeah. But here's, okay. here's my thing with the robot off. Guys, we talked a lot over the years about rules changes. I think if they would have just called the strike zone. So the strike zone is supposed to be from basically your armpit to your knee, okay? And most umpires have it basically from the belly button to the top of the knee. It's a postage stamp. The problem with baseball, as far as I'm concerned, is the guys have decided that the walk and the numbers people have decided the walk is as valuable as a hit which couldn't be further from the truth. I've never seen a guy driven home from second with a walk. Well, if you force people to swing the bat by giving them the strike zone that's in the rule book, then you're going to get people to swing the bat. The problem is, is that baseball has given umpires the power to have and institute their own strike zones. So if you have the robot ump, you're going to have a real strike zone, a big strike zone, and guys will have no choice. Hitters will have no choice but to go up there and swing the bat. That makes the game faster. It decreases, hopefully, the number of strikeouts, and uh, it certainly decreases the number of walks. And that's what baseball is trying to do here is just get get more people on base, get more people swinging the bat, and just have more action in the game. Yeah. I think that's a better argument, Logan. You need need a better argument, Logan. That's a good one. Wow. I'm not really saying that because it's – no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, Joe West, I mean, he kind of made a head-scratching comment. I think it was on his podcast this year. Uh, he said, you know, he said that – he was referring to one of the other umpires who did a really bad game this year. And he said, you know, uh, the umpires have a different strike zone than the one that you see on TV, and which I understand that. But the one on TV is the one that's at the letters, like you said, the armpit, basically, mm-hmm. yep. and the one at the knees. And so if you have – a different strike zone than the one 
in the on the TV, then you're you're kind of a problem, and it's just it's ridiculous now, and it's kind of like a power trip now. They like yeah. they love to get angry or take it out on players or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I do think though that there is one negative to having that robot umpire. And that is that you take the skill of pitch framing out of the sport. And that's one of the things that Yachty over the years, for the most part, has done really well, is turn a ball into a strike just by giving the umpire a look. And that's a skill that would go by the wayside if there's a a robot ump. But I I think there are more positives to be gained from having the automatic strike zone than than negatives of losing the the pitch framers that are able to to change the game in that way. Honestly, I love that because of – because now we're going to have a lot like catchers are going to have to do more than just pitch framing. They're going to have to actually be offensive and, you know, they're going to have to be able to keep up with the other guys. Got to be able to throw that too, was right? A shot at Yachty, by the way. No. Be able to throw. With, with the bases now, the, the way they're going to be, they'll, the, that uh, pop time strong armed catcher will be, it'll come back into vogue. People will have to really defend the run. Yeah. So it's since we've gotten really- over to catchers, I have a very important question. Okay. With Yachty being gone. Logan, I'm not going there. Relax. Okay. With Yachty being gone, <laughs> who's our catcher next year? That's because a great Herrera's question. Because Herrera's not ready. Kisner can't hit to save – I mean, up until the last couple games, he's been super inconsistent. Right. Um, he's the best player now. Right now. I mean, do we go out and do we get uh, – do we go get Contreras? Do we try to get uh, Sean Murphy? I mean – what do you uh, think see, I don't. Uh, if you want a catcher, I don't think you go get Contreras. Now, Contreras, yeah. if you have the automated strike zone, I think Contreras has a chance to be a more effective guy for you. But if we're going to have the rules for home plate and the umpires calling strikes, and in terms of dealing with the pitching staff, that's one of the reasons Contreras didn't get moved at the deadline is because he just doesn't do a good job, especially with young pitchers. A Murphy I like. I would like the Cardinals to trade for Jacob Stallings, who got traded last year to Miami. He's a free agent after 2023, so I would think that he'll be on the move. He's the kind of guy who won a gold glove last year, doesn't hit an awful lot, but if you've got a Kisner or a Herrera, he's a guy that I think would do a great job of holding down the fort. He's not a great offensive performer, but He's like the quintessential – he's he's Mike Matheny. He's the quintessential Cardinal catcher that can run a pitching staff, manage a game from behind home plate, throw, catch. Uh, I think a guy like that would be a really good fit. And Murphy, by the way, I think it'll take a lot to get him, but if I could get him on my team, I would, absolutely. I got one more question, and then I'm going to go because I know Moore is, is begging to start talking about hockey soon. Um, so <laughs> so – um, I, so this is more of a hosting question. Um, so your friends, you know, you talked about how you were friends with Goldie. You talked with Wainwright. You talked to Carpenter. You talked to all these players. Mm-hmm. How hard is it? And, like, how do you toe this line of kind of um, grading or, or kind of uh, talking about them? And if they have a bad game, you got to talk about how bad they are. Uh, if they are not performing up to standards, like, do you find that hard uh, or do you just – and I understand they're professionals, but, mm-hmm. like, do you find it hard at all or – So uh, it, it, that's a great question. And when I got started in the business, I would do post-game open line. And I was really the first person ever in this town that was critical of the organization. 
because they were doing things. They were letting Terry Pendleton and Vince Coleman and Willie McGee go. So I was very critical of the organization. And it was new, and it, it opened people's eyes. And I would talk to Jack Buck after all my shows, and he would say, were you fair? And I said, yeah, I, I thought I was fair. He said, I did too. You're, you're fine. And I was having this conversation with Skip Schumacher a couple of weeks ago because Skip listens every morning when he's driving to the ballpark. And he said, I really like the job you do. And I said, you know, with your guys, my whole thing is I just want to be fair. And he said, I know. And, and he said, there's no player that's going to be less critical of himself. He said, we're all our own worst critics. You don't hold a candle to a guy who's done poorly the night before. So all I have to do is observe, right? If a guy's in a one for 21, I say, and very rarely does a player not hustle, I'll call him out. If, if a player doesn't hustle and everybody in the world knows it, you have to mention that. And the player knows that too. But all I'm doing, I'm a fan with access. We're, we're, we're fans and I'm a fan that has access to that clubhouse. And if, Adam is not pitching well. He's, he says it. I don't have to. I have Adam on every Wednesday. And he said, hey, I've been pitching like a knucklehead for my last six starts. So <laughs> those players know it. And if I mention their performance and it happens to show up in a negative light, like Skip said to me, they're definitely more aware of it and more critical of it than I am. So it's not hard. It's uh, those guys – and, and I know most of the people with both franchises, the Cardinals and the Blues, they listen. And fortunately for me, I've been around for a long time so that they know that I'm fair. I, I had this conversation multiple times with Alex Petrangelo. And uh, he said, that's all I can ask is, is that you be fair. And so that's what I tried to do. And if I'm that, then they have no problem with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was, that's, that's a good answer. And yeah, I guess I've never <laughs> thought of it that way, but, uh, Thanks for coming on. Uh, if you want to, you know, come on to the Cardinals Chronicles or the seventh inning stretch at any time, I know you're pretty busy, but, you know, we're taking applications. If you want a job here, and, <laughs> right. um, if you want to make it to the big time, I know. Uh, but no, I'm kidding. But uh, thanks for coming on. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to leave because I right, love go Thanks. Have, have a great vacation, man. Enjoy the weather here. Yeah, I will. Most definitely. I'm loving it. So great. Thanks for coming on, Josh. I'll see you. Uh, Brandon, boss, master, whatever, CEO. See you next time. <laughs> see you, Logan. See you, Logan. Uh, now I get to talk about the fun stuff. Yeah. By the way, guys, just as, as, a, as an aside here, and I know this is going to air later, but uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa may have just gotten killed by the Bengals. I'm just, I'll point that out Ooh. to you. <laughs> He, he uh, shouldn't have returned to last week's game, to be honest. <laughs> right, exactly. I saw yeah. the hit, and I saw him get up, and it was all wobbly. I was like, oh, no, that's concussion protocol. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> you're not. Right, you right. Not be that wasn't your back. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah. I, I do have one question, kind of a switch gear type thing. For I know we've been talking baseball for the last 50 minutes. Um, I saw one thing pop up whenever we uh, – we're kind of in the middle of all the talks and I, I was kind of jumping at the bit, like wanting to ask, but I didn't want to change the gears too early. Cause we, we were kind of in the middle of baseball talk and I didn't want to just switch over right in the middle. Uh, but I saw a report that there's been increasing uh, trade uh, interest with coyotes Chitrin, And it seemed like the blues 
just recently popped up with it that they've been increasingly more interest in Chitrin as well. And I know we've been kind of we have a little bit more of a solid uh, defensive group after getting Letty uh, ironed in for another four years this past off season. Um, hopefully with having him, he gets, uh, Preco back to kind of whenever his days of whenever we, he was playing with Bo and having his solid defensive effort out there. Uh, but having a guy on, uh, like Chitrin on the blues defensive core, do you think that's something that the blues are seriously trying to inquire on? Or do you think that's something that's uh, like, the media is just throwing out there and then it's just going to kind of blow by the wayside. No, I, I, he definitely wants out of Arizona and there's no question that the blues have interest. They had interest last year. They, they felt like they almost had him at the deadline. They were really close and they like him a lot with the three, 3.275 million coming off the books from Marco Scandella's injury. They would have to find another million and a quarter to get a guy like Chikrin in. Uh, it'd take a couple of first round draft choices. And with the Perunovic injury, I think that's probably one of the guys that Arizona would have been interested in. I don't know if the Blues are a really good match right now for Arizona, but there's no question that Bill Armstrong and Doug Armstrong, uh, very close friends, the general managers of both teams, they could work a deal. But I just don't, uh, I, I would think that there's another team that probably has a better match with Arizona right now than the Blues. And one other part of it for the Blues would be, like you said, they've got four guys under contract, three of them at $6.5 million, another one at $5 million. Do you want to allocate another $4.5 million to your decor when next year you have to bring back O'Reilly and still sign other players? Next year they have, I think, $67 million committed to 12 or 13 players, and they still don't have Ryan O'Reilly under contract. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a very – I don't want to be Doug in that office trying to figure out the at the end of the season what they're going to do with some of the guys. Because, I mean, you got Tarasenko coming off at six and a half this year. Uh, O'Reilly, I think, right around the same. I think he was at seven or six somewhere. Yeah, between. seven and a half for both of those guys. Yeah. So, and you have Barbashev as well. You had Kairou and Thomas coming off this year, but they both got – they're significant deals. Um, and then you got Mikola also coming off at the end of this year since he only signed a one-year contract. Uh, so as, it, it's going to be a, a tough season slash offseason upcoming for the, the Blues organization trying to figure out where they're going to shuffle all their money around in order to keep the guys that they're wanting to keep. You're right. And the cap apparently is not going to go up. So the, the choice would be to – Move a guy like Krug, which, again, becomes riskier because you don't know if Perunovic is ever going to be a guy that is healthy, right? You don't know if you're ever going to have him for a consistent uh, on a consistent basis. And you also probably don't want to give a 32-year-old Ryan O'Reilly, as much as we love him, Doug Armstrong doesn't like to give term to veteran players. We saw it with Bacchus. We saw it with Petro. We saw it with David yep. Perron. And he's pretty cold-hearted, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just let Ryan O'Reilly walk after this season. Yeah, I, I saw uh, a little kind of snippet today of something that O'Reilly uh, said he's not really in a rush to to get the contract done. He's just mm-hmm. more worried about playing this year and making sure that uh, you know he's 
he's healthy and, and is able to possibly sign a contract and stay. He's, he obviously wants to stay in St. Louis, just like everybody wants him to. Um, you know, he's he's been a critical part of of the Blues organization for the last four or five years. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he played a significant hard, role. Hard to let hard to let somebody like that go. But then again, they've done the same thing. They've done it before. I mean, Doug knows what he's doing. Doug Armstrong knows what he's doing with, when it comes to off-season acquisitions and things like that. You know, he's yeah. unfortunately let Bacchus go and Petrangelo and some of the big, you know, Blues, Blues, Blues fan favorites over the last couple of years. So, Yeah, and the big thing for Army is going to be, and I think that Robert Thomas has reached elite status. I think he's a great player now. He's found his 200-foot game. But Cairo is going to have to turn into a star, right? Cairo is not – he's an all-star. He's a really good player, but I don't think that he's reached all-around star status yet. You know, people compare him to Patrick Kane, but Patrick Kane was a much better 200-foot player, is a better 200-foot player than Cairo has shown himself to be so far. And it's effort. It's knowing to, when to pick your spots to to not be a floater in the, in the offensive end. But he's going to play need to play much more of a – solid defensive game for him to reach star status and be worth the $8 million a year that they gave him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was a tad surprised when they gave him the eight, eight and a half, you know, kind of comparing him with Thomas. Wouldn't even, he's not, you know, no, no, no doubt that Kyrou can be that kind of player. Um, but, you know, are we going to see it? Is he going to be worth that eight, eight and a half million, you know, in three years when, when Thomas is already kind of at that point? Right. And the thing is, is it's not like uh, Doug Armstrong has nailed every contract. I think we can all agree that they they didn't nail the Marco Scandella contract. Most of the time, what Army does works out. Uh, there are many guys that leave St. Louis where you say, man, I wish they would have kept him. Uh, but uh, that's a situation there with uh, with, with uh, Kairou where I think there are legitimate questions as to whether or not he's going to be uh, a, a great, great player. But uh, Doug Armstrong knows a whole lot more about it than I do, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> we're just, so, we're uh, just man, sometimes playing a guessing game when it comes to all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, Randy, um, with all the changes in the lineup this year, do you think do you think by the end of the season or even by the trade deadline that, oh, I guess first, does Clem Costin make the big boys team out of camp? And if I don't does, think he does. Still here at the deadline. You don't think he does? Yeah, I, I just don't think that he tries hard enough. I don't. When coaches say, "Well, his his compete level needs to increase," there's only one thing that you can draw from that, right? He's not trying hard enough. And if right. his compete level isn't up to snuff now, when is it going to be? He he should have been desperate last year. He should be desperate to be making the team this year. And if his compete level isn't his effort level isn't to NHL standards or blue standards, then no, I don't think that he should make the team out of camp. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know I saw an article on some of the guys that how they were all kind of going back and forth that they were thinking Costin and maybe, maybe one or two other guys on the team might've had crosshairs on their back with their production level for this season. If they're going to have the chance, if, it, even if they do have the chance, if they're going to produce like they, everybody's expecting them to, then it whether or not if they're going to have 
a spot in the lineup for the whole season, part of the season, or if they're even uh, have the chance and maybe be down in the AHL or wherever for most of the season. Yeah, and he's he's a guy where you're scared to let him go because he's got all the skill. He's got the shot. He's got the speed. We know that he's got the ability to – we we talk about that 200-foot game. He played it in, in the KHL. He, he was a terrific 200-foot player, a great four-checker. So we know it's there physically, but he needs to put it together and he needs to find it. But at some time, you, you've got to reach a decision with a player – and they really like neighbors, and he's a big winger. They really like Logan Brown. He's a big winger. And those guys are as young as Clem Costin is and don't have as much pro experience as he does, but they've moved past him in regards to what the Blues think of them as prospects. So uh, I, it, it better happen for Clem Costin pretty quickly. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, it seems like uh, I know we've kind of had a few games kind of coming through uh, with the preseason so far, we're, we've gone three and zero. We're uh, just a live update. I know we. Uh, I'm a little bit behind, but close to the end of the second period, it looks like we're tied two to two. I don't really have the details of who scored because I've been. I don't have it on the TV at the moment, but uh, it seems like Jake Neighbors. He's really been a guy that's been kind of like you were saying before. He, he's putting that athleticism out there. He's He's proven that he can uh, play with the, the best of them. Uh, he's, I mean, he's been scoring a lot. He's been in the plays a lot. And uh, same with uh, Logan Brown, which, I mean, I, I feel like those guys both can probably make it probably to the big club probably for the start of the season. I don't know if they'll be it for the whole season, but it seems like those guys have really been trying to put in their effort to really make it to the big club and start on the big club. And they're Craig Ruby type players. They're big. They hit. They're defensively conscious. They're, they're willing to forecheck and they just fit the mold of what Ruby wants. And I, I would be intrigued by Brown and neighbors being the wings for Braden Shen. I think that'd just be a really interesting line. And, Shenner does such a great job of bringing young players along, kind of dragging them into the fight. I would be really intrigued to see if those two wound up being top nine guys on the wings of uh, of, uh, of Braden Shen. I think that would be pretty fun to see. Yeah. Uh, my uncle, well, Jeff, you you, pro- I don't, you probably remember him from uh, Jeff Rackley. He, mm-hmm. he's, he's been the uh, operations manager over at Centene for well, the last couple of years. And me and him were kind of talking a little bit the other day, and he was saying that he heard up from the grapevine because obviously he talks with a lot of the team and everything that uh, if things keep going the way that they're going and if he keeps playing the way that he's playing, that there's an opportunity possibly for Brown to start up on the O'Reilly-Ryan line to uh, – is that he, I guess they see him kind of in the same avenue, I guess, is like what Perron kind of was shaping out mm-hmm. with everything and – he thought that that was kind of a, a good spot, I guess, for Brown because he was playing really well. He still is playing really well, and he thought that that was probably a, a good spot for him. Yeah, you get – number one, he was skilled enough, and he was a legit number 11 pick in the draft. He wasn't like a, a, a Nail Yakupov one overall. He, he Logan Brown had legit skill to go at number 11 when he went, and he just – in Ottawa, that was just such a mess. He didn't have a great opportunity there. There, by the way, Ottawa will be much better off 
and a better franchise now. That's a good thing for Brady Kachuk. But in regards to Logan Brown, uh, he would fit well with O'Reilly because he is a big, gritty guy, 6'6". He's 215, 220, and he he does things well. He He's a guy that even though he's 6'6", he's got a nice quick shot, and he'll uh, he's another guy that will run some people into the boards on the – uh, on the offensive end. So I would be really intrigued to see him on a line. Uh, you put hi- him at right wing with, uh, with Saad and O'Reilly. That'd be pretty interesting. I believe so. Mm-hmm. so. We, uh, we used to, speaking of uh, uh, Kachuk, um, the whole, the whole crowd, which one is it? The Matthew. Matthew. Mm-hmm. Matthew. Were you surprised he wasn't, he's not a St. Louis blue right now? With 2020 hindsight, I am not. I really did think, in fact, I know that there were discussions between Matthew's family and the Blues about him winding up here. But when push came to shove and Calgary knew they had to get rid of him because he wasn't going to be back after next year, and they didn't want to have another situation like they had with Johnny Goodrow where he walked away for nothing. So they made the move. And to get uh, Jonathan Huberdeau, who was second in the league in scoring last year with 115 points, and then you get – plus 40 defensemen in Mackenzie Weger, and they got a first-round pick, those two players were more than the Blues could have given up. The Blues offered Tarasenko and Scandella, and I think one number one. But not only did the, the Panthers offer more for Kachuk, but they also offered him more money. He got nine and a half a year from, uh, from the Panthers. He would have gotten nine and a quarter had he come to St. Louis. So it just didn't match up. And there was no part of the deal where the blues had the advantage. The one small part that they would have had would have been that he's from here and he grew up a blues fan and his family is here. But uh, Keith Kachuk and his wife are building a house down in Naples. So they'll spend a ton of the winter down there. And Matthew can go down there for home games and, and be with his parents. So I think it all works out really well for him. And Hey, look at it from this perspective as well for Matthew Kachuk. No state income tax on that nine and a half million in Florida, whereas he would have had to pay that here in Saint uh, in Missouri. You're right. Right. Yeah. Um, so who's your biggest uh hope for this season? Like uh your breakout star for the blues this year? Well I do we do we already consider Kairou uh, uh like I said he's not a superstar, but he was an all-star, right? Scored two game two goals in the all-star game. So let's count Jordan Kairou as a star. My breakout guy, I hope, is Logan Brown. I think he's got all the tools to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I would definitely agree. I mean, seeing how he played last year with the guys and, and everything, I thought he really – I thought he contributed really well. I There were some – at some parts of the season last year where they were kind of going back and forth between him and Nathan Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I – there were some times where I got a little salty because I, I saw the con- contribution that uh, Little Walker was putting in, uh, and it seemed like every time that he came up, he had some sort of big contribution to the team. And then every time that Brown would be coming back, they would always send uh, Nathan down. So to me, it was always oh, kind of like a question mark, I guess, in a way. And, yeah, I get that uh, they both kind of – get their games going in different ways and everything. And Logan's a lot bigger guy than what Nathan Walker is. 
But I was, I was just kind of, and you might have a little bit different perspective on it than I do, but I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were with, I know Nathan Walker, Hill, if, if he does make it to the big club this year, it sounded like he was going to be on the third or fourth line, but I was going to look at kind of what your take was with between the two of them. I think Nathan Walker can be a top nine forward for a team that isn't a Stanley Cup contender. I don't think he's big enough to be a fourth flying guy for what the Blues want because they want a little bit more ruggedness, a little bit more grit on their fourth line. And while he's a really nice player and a good guy to have if you have a bunch of injuries, I don't think he's a guy that can play 75 games for a team that has aspirations of winning a Stanley Cup. I do think that Brown has that level of skill and tough and grittiness. The question is, can he put it all together? Can, can on a night-in, night-out basis, he be consistent in utilizing the skill and the speed and the shot? Uh, I, I, I think that we've probably seen last year Nathan Walker's ceiling. And that it's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think that it's uh, – I don't think it's a ceiling that lends itself to being a regular for a really good team. Fair enough. Um, By the way, let me throw one other name out there. And a lot of people disagree with me. I think Nico Mikola is going to be a pretty good player. I I don't know if he's going to be an all-star, but I think he's going to be a more than serviceable third-pairing defenseman on a regular basis. Is he going to be Jay Bomeister? No, probably not. But I think he's going to be a really nice player that will probably play a long time and make a lot of money in this league. Oh, I would agree because, I mean, even – Bits and pieces last year, he had his moments, but I, I thought he really had a good contribution on the power play and the power or on the penalty kill. He, I thought he played very well whenever he had his uh, chances on the power play or even on the penalty kill. And he, he, I think he's can't come a long way from what he's kind of showed over the years because I thought there's plenty of times where. It, and chances for 50-50 pucks or uh, back check. I, I thought there was times where he may have not have had his the right stuff in some of those circumstances or situations. But uh, towards the end of the season last year, I thought he really started owning his own. Uh, he, he started getting physical a lot more with some of the guys uh, on the other teams that he was playing against. And I, I just thought he was – starting to play a lot better overall game kind of over yeah, I agree with you. the last season. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And that's, by the way, as you know, an element that the Blues don't have a lot of is the physicality. Shen brings that up front, but they they certainly have not had that on the blue line for some time. So if you have he and Bortuzzo back there, when you're playing against teams that uh, want to play with a, a little bit more of an edge, it's nice to have that available to you. Of course. Uh, so you kind of talk about like the off season and stuff like that, you know, that toy Krug's name has been thrown around a lot when it comes to trade talks. So is it, is there, is there more to than just him not being, I guess, as much as I guess productive player defensively than, than that, than we're, than we're seeing just cause I mean, it's surprising that they're throwing Krug's name constantly in trade talks. At least you hear it all the time. Uh, trade well, talk wise. Yeah, I think there were a couple of reasons for that. I think number one, obviously, was the idea of clearing cap space. But number two, 
I, I think that the only reason you would move him is if you thought that Perunovic could be there for the whole season as a power play quarterback because the Blues don't have that other guy. They don't have another power play quarterback on this roster, and the power play was so much better last year when Krug was healthy, right? That was one of the things that hurt the Blues in the playoffs when he was injured, and uh, Perunovic stepped in nicely for him. But I don't think there's another guy on that defense. All due respect to uh, Justin Falk and uh, the, the other players the Blues have back there, obviously Pareko and Letty, I, I don't think that there's another guy that can run a power play like Tory Krug. So I, I understand why we have all brought him up as a possibility of a trade target, but I think with the injury to Perunovic, that should quiet down. Yeah. What is your um, – how are you feeling about Thomas Grice? <laughs> That I think is the scariest part of the team for me, guys. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, I, he, he has not been good for a couple of years now, and the Blues have a great history of turning guys around. Whether it's bringing in Brian Elliott, who they were able to get for nothing when they got him, they they got Halak, and uh, they were able to keep him going for a couple of years. They turned Carter Hutton into a nice backup. They were able to get. Jake Allen from the depths after developing him and get him performing well again. So the Blues do a pretty good job of getting goalies going, but it's hard to do that when a guy is 36. You're counting on him, I think, probably for 25 games. And to me, the the, the money that they got when uh, Marco Scandella got hurt, if there is a backup goalie that pops free, I, I wonder if the Blues might pursue that because – I well, Thomas Grice came for a million and a quarter, and I think you get what you pay for. And I, I have real concerns about his ability as a, a, a legitimate winning NHL backup goalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how much of an impact, though, do you think, even if he comes in and he plays 25 games and wins 10 of those, I mean, it's still you're still looking at 20, you know, right around possibly 20 to. I don't know, 12 points or something like that between those 10 games. I mean, you think right. that's enough for, you know, when, when Jordan Jordan doesn't have that stellar game to, to kind of pick up, to push the Blues into a possible wild card or playoff spot when they need it. You know? Well, that, and that's the other issue. Uh, Bennington still has not played a full great season. Now, part of that was not his fault. I mean, obviously he wins the Stanley Cup the next year. He's on his way to having a great season when the pandemic hits. But in the last couple of years, he's not had a complete good season. Thank goodness they had Jake Allen and then Billy Husso available in the, the, those instances when, when Jordan didn't play well. And that's another concern I have is what happens if Biddington goes into a funk like he did last year and has a couple of bad months? Is Thomas Grice good enough to carry the team for a couple of months like Billy Husso did? I I don't think he is. I hope he is. But like I said, that's the scariest part of the team. Do you think our defense will be good enough to make up for the age and lack of ability Grice has compared to when he was with the Islanders? I mean, the key, yeah, the key for the Blues defense, and it doesn't change, and the forwards are a big part of this too, it's puck possession. It's getting the puck out of the zone without turning it over. And that was one of the things and bringing Letty over last year that really improved is they didn't turn the puck over in their own zone nearly as much once Letty arrived on the scene. So I do think the defense, for the Blues, the old adage totally applies. 
The best defense is a good offense. They need to get the puck, and this is the way Craig Ruby likes to coach. Get the puck and get it out of the zone and then maintain puck possession in the offensive zone and win that battle, win the offensive zone possession battle. And if they do that, then, yeah, Grice can be fine because the other team won't have it. You, you can't score from 200 feet. The other team won't have the opportunities to score against him. But if you lose a defenseman, and right now if you lose one of your top four, you've got real problems, and then all of a sudden it becomes a shooting gallery on Thomas Grice, that's where I think that he'll have issues. Yeah. I agree. Uh, with- I, uh, hold on really quick. My computer is actually about to die. I didn't realize how uh, – how quickly it will it goes. There's a thing called a charger. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, where well, unfortunately where I'm at, there's not enough like in, oh, in the house, there's not enough outlets yet uh, to to do that. But um, I'm gonna go ahead. I'll hop. I'm gonna hop off. Um, again, I, Randy, I appreciate you coming on. Um, Brad, thank you very much. It was fun. It was, it was awesome. So, we'll, but we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks. We'll keep it going here. Whatever you guys need. See you, yeah. Seth. See you guys. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, aside, I know we talked a little bit about uh, I guess a little bit of all around different spots for the Blues. Uh, we talked about just got done talking about goaltending. Uh, we talked a little bit about the defense. Uh, with the offensive core, uh, kind of coming, kind of where everything's going to be shaping out at. Uh. Do you think the offense for the Blues? I, I know we've been pretty, we've been good for a number of years, and obviously with the uh, the loss of Prawn to the to the lineup now, I I don't think it's going to be as detrimental to the team with having guys like Neighbors, uh, Brown, uh, possibly Bullduke coming up. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where they're going to be kind of putting him. Since he's, I haven't really heard much talks with Bolduc, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I feel like with just the kind of the the one subtraction and a few additions to the team or for the offense, uh, what do you think for the for the Blues in that department? I think there's a couple of things, and let's start go back to that fourth line because the Blues do want a little bit of more production out of that group, and that's why one of the reasons that I wouldn't be surprised if Barbashev would be down there. Scored 26 goals last year. Nolachari has been a 20-goal scorer in the NHL, so I, I could see a guy like that. Josh Levo was the best uh, player last year in the AHL playoffs, the, the team that beat the Blues Springfield farm team. Levo was terrific for them and has offensive capabilities. So I think you can get a few more goals out of your fourth line. But guys, last year, there were times where I thought that Ivan Barbers or uh, rather Pavel Buchnevich was the Blues' most talented player, and I expect at some point that he's going to Buchnevich is going to wind up being their best forward on both ends of the ice. He has an electrifying shot. He's got a great stick, and I would expect that he'll ascend to another level. We've already talked about Kairou, so I have no problem with him. And then it's going to come down to because. Saad is what he is. Saad's a 20-25 goal guy. O'Reilly is a 20-25 goal guy. So uh, there are a couple of things. It's going to be the continued ascent of Robert Thomas in feeding Butchnevich and Tarasenko. And then how do the kids? We talked about uh, the, the possible wingers for Shen. How do those guys perform? Are they capable of being 20-goal guys? And can you get 60 goals out of a third line of 
Shen, Neighbors, and and Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that was that was kind. Of, I, whenever you brought up uh, seeing Barbashev down in the fourth line, that kind of threw me for a loop because I figured he would have been a, possibly a third line or uh, more more or less, I guess, a f- third line forward. But I, I guess I could see him somewhat down on the fourth line. I guess uh, I wasn't sure with having. Noel Chari now and uh, Saad, how they were all position him. Yeah. I well, guess. Ruby said the other day that one of the main things that he wants to get out of this training camp is an identity for the fourth line, similar to what the Blues had with Shen and Sunquist and Barbashev. And the Blues probably got the career offensive year out of Barbashev last year, but we do know he's a great energy guy and he's a guy that can score goals on that fourth line. It's really difficult to replace a guy like a healthy Oscar Sundquist. I don't know if he's healthy now, but Achari is, <laughs> is a nice player there. Uh, and then you just need to find a, a gritty, tough winger for that line. And I, I don't know if the guy is on the roster Right now, if you go back to what the Blues had in in 2019, I don't know if you have enough guys to provide that sort of grit without Barbashev on the fourth line. So I think that's why I would look at it that way. Is It's not because of any deficiencies of Barbashev as a third-line guy. It's because of his greatness as a fourth-line guy. So that's I didn't really think of it that in that perspective. Because Barbie was, you know, he was the spark plug on the 19 team on the fourth line. I mean, he's not afraid to go out there and hit. Yes, he can score, and we finally saw him light it up last year. Um, I kind of agree with you on that, where I think his spot is on the fourth line, not because he's a fourth liner, but that's the energy line. That was the energy mm-hmm. line in 19 for the Blues. He is a spark plug. Um, I think he'd be a great compliment to Achari over there and then whoever they else they want to put out there. Um, I think Shin on the third line – because I'm assuming that's where he's going to end up as a third-line mm-hmm. center. I think whoever they put around him, he's going to bring the greatness out of those young guys, and he's going to teach those kids to play the game the correct way. Right. Um, yeah. Not just with the skill set and the positioning, but the heart and the tenacity. Um, I love our team. I'm very nervous about the goalie situation and, and a lot of the youth we have, but I think our core is so strong fundamentally and with heart. I think we make a run this year, and I think we can take Colorado. I mean, yeah, you think those are very well coached. Yeah. No, I, I think they would have beaten Colorado last year if if uh, the goalie doesn't get hurt. If if Bennington is there, I think the Blues beat Colorado. So yeah. no, I I think you're you're right on there. And by the way, we haven't mentioned Toropchenko, who apparently is way ahead of schedule. And if you have Toropchenko available as a, a fourth line right winger, then all of a sudden Achari Toropchenko and Barbashev that looks pretty good, right? As yeah, a fourth line, I didn't and, even think about that. But yeah, that that line. I mean, you have Toropchenko who. He did get physical a number of times during last season, and then Barbashev as well. I mean, he's he's been, as you guys have all said, he's been the spark plug for a lot of a lot of the years for us on the third and fourth line. So, I I mean, yeah, if Toropchenko can make a, a, a I guess a little bit more speedier recovery than what people are saying, and I know because I know they're saying that he won't be back till December as as things go currently. But I, it having that as a fourth line, that I could see that being like that uh, gritty kind of spark plug mm-hmm. 
uh, line that the Blues have always kind of had somewhere in their in their lineup. And apparently today after practice, Steve Ott was running Torepchenko into the boards, which is for a fourth line guy, I guess a pretty pretty big positive, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. that, that definitely so. sounds like a positive to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we haven't talked about what I would consider the elephant in the room is the uh, Tarasenko issue. Oh. Um, not rescinding his trade request. Um, do you think Army's going to move him at the deadline if he can? Do you think he rides him to the end of the season, lets him go for nothing? Do you think Tarasenko pulls back and rescinds his trade request and decides he wants to stay in St. Louis and finish his career? We will know at the trade deadline whether or not Doug Armstrong thinks his team has a, win a, stand, has a chance to win a Stanley Cup with what he does with Tarasenko. If Armstrong doesn't think they have a chance to win. He'll trade Tarasenko like he did with Stastny and like he did with Shattenkirk and get a number one for him. If he thinks they have a chance to win, he'll keep Vladdy here. This is Vladdy's last year in St. Louis. Cap-wise, they just can't keep him now. So I'm sure he'll be highly motivated. But if the rest of the team around Vladdy struggles and they're, they're on the edge, I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues would move him at the deadline, but uh, I do think that that will be a telling thing is uh, as to what Doug Armstrong thinks of his team uh, as to whether or not uh, Tarasenko is here. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's I, I mean, my answer too. Yeah, <laughs> and by the way, Josh, or sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think, I, I don't think it matters to Tarasenko now or anybody whether he, rescinds his trade request or not. He, he made it a year and a half ago and he still hasn't been moved. So, uh, you <laughs> know, whether he yeah. rescinds it or not, it really doesn't matter, I guess. That's true. Yeah. Because uh, Josh and I, we talked about this last Thursday whenever we had uh, the Blues Notes episode. Because uh, I, I thought it this way is like, if they end up keeping Tarasenko all the way through to the end of his contract and then he goes to free agency, yes, the Blues would be getting him or get nothing for him in a way. But I mean, in a way you would be able to clear the, clear the space that Tarasenko has at the six and a half, six point seven, whatever he's at. And then you can move that money, obviously the try to either sign some of the kids to maybe a little bit lengthier contract than what they're being signed to. And then you could possibly even sign, uh, O'Reilly, I mean, this is all just here's like this sure. is my perspective. Signing O'Reilly to a number year deal if he wants to, and if the organization wants to, to a little bit more than what he's been getting now at six and a half, maybe seven and three quarter or something of that nature, and still have a little bit of room to be able to do other moves with the rest of the team if they're in dire need of doing something else. And I, I don't know if you're going to find a guy that can score 35 goals. You might have to crowdsource the 30 to 35 goals that Vladdy gets when you let him go. But one of the things that Army does that's kind of a, a chess as opposed to checkers move, I could easily see Vladdy going, Shen moving to a wing, and then Bolduke moving in as a center in 23-24 because they love Bolduke as much as they love Jake Neighbors, and eventually he's going to be a top nine, if not a top six center. They've already said that they expect uh, Robert Thomas to be their number one center and eventually their captain. So 
I could certainly see them setting things up to replace Vladdy, maybe not at the same position, but in terms of roster and uh, numbers on the top nine with a guy like Boldu. Yep. And that was, uh, you were just brought up with the whole captain situation. Uh, if like, O'Reilly were to leave, and I, me and Josh even talked about this, uh, if he were to leave at the end of this year, we're saying that possibly a guy like Thomas, I, I know he's just going to be starting out his new contract next year, uh, but with how much of progression he has shown and everything, that he could possibly be a vote for the captain slot, but we also were talking along the lines of Shen as well, because he, I mean, you look at Shen and we all kind of think of him as an all around blue. He's gritty. He gets the job done no matter what the cost is. I mean, hell, he played through the playoffs last year with several broken ribs, uh, injured foot. So, I mean, it, I, I, I could see either of those guys possibly, but I think the tall tale sign is probably going to be Thomas in the end. Yeah. When Tommy Thomas signed the contract, Doug Armstrong said that he expects Thomas to be the captain of the team. And you just look at some of the little things they're doing. Like we have a blues player on every week on our show on 101. Last year it was Perron. And when he leaves, they decide to put Thomas on. They give him a front and center role uh, on uh, 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 their media partner. That's the sort of thing that tells me because it, I, I even suggested Braden Chen, and they said, you know, why don't we why don't we go with Thomas? I think they want to get Thomas into that situation where he becomes sort of a spokesman and is prepped for becoming the captain eventually. I I would be surprised actually if it was anybody else. Not that Shenner doesn't deserve it, but I think the Blues, looking long term now, they want a guy that is going to be here for the long term and a younger guy so that they can sell the C on the jerseys for and stuff right. like that. And Shen, there's no question, uh, players, Dallas Drake, a former Blues captain, said, hey, doesn't matter who's wearing the C. We all know who the leaders are. And there's no question that Braden Shen is one of the main two or three leaders on this team. Oh, of course. Uh, I, I would probably say that, and then alongside with uh, O'Reilly, yep. Tarasenko a little bit last year, I thought he was kind of a – a dominant voice probably within the clubhouse and everything. Uh, definitely Shen, uh, O'Reilly, and the, I felt like those guys were very much in the in the talks of, like, the main leaders for the team. Well, and, what Brandon, one of the other things, you mentioned Vladdy, because when you have a bunch of young Russian players, you've got Butchnevich, you've got Toropchenko, uh, you've got Barbashev, you do need to have that segment. That's a, an important part of a hockey team these days. And you're right. He, as, as much by his actions, but his words as well, became a leader in that room. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've met, I've, I've just, this is all in passing, I, but I met Tarasenko once because he lives kind of out close to the area that I'm in and kind of in the store and, what not just in passing, kind of just caught him in a glimpse, and I was like, I, "It looks like him," but, and mm-hmm. just had like a brief couple words. And I mean, he's seen obviously he with his speech and everything. There's some stuff that he can't quite understand, but he he seemed like a pretty all around type of person. He didn't really seem like like those athletes sometimes that you meet that are kind of all about themselves or they have that that hard attitude that they don't really like 
being talked to like out in the public just for the what they're known for and everything but he mm-hmm. seemed like he was a little a little bit more of the all around or just genuine type of person i guess in yeah he, he's he is a, a good guy and by the way love st louis and love st louis fans uh, I, I think there were a lot of things and we know about the, the whole doctor situation that went into the trade request but i don't think the trade request had anything to do with the support of the community that he gets. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like it mostly from everything that was talked about for the reason why he was wanting the, the trade and everything was, I guess the team doctors or something along the lines of that. And I mean, it, it, that was mostly the reason for it. I mean, yeah, I could see possibly something along the lines of why he's wanting to get a trade, but it seems like anytime he's viewed on the ice or anything. He's always has a smile on his face or he's always trying his hardest. And in the media, he's always wanting to talk about the blues, how he loves the city and everything. So, I mean, to a fan, like in my perspective and seeing him wanting a trade request at first, I was kind of like, well, what's going on? Why all of a sudden is wanting to trade or a trade out of St. Louis, but it kind of came into light later on with the Mm -hmm. whole doctor situation. Yeah. And he's uh, one of the things in in playing that game that he did well is he never said it himself. He always had sources. It was always his agent and his agent wasn't using his name. So it was sources close to Vladimir Tarasenko. We never heard Vladdy say I want out of St. Louis. So he's got a level of plausible deniability there. And he can say, I never asked for a trade when technically he didn't because he never said the words. Right. Yeah. I I always thought that was kind of an odd thing because it was always in the media or uh, like something on social media or like somebody saying, oh, he's wanting a trade. It it was never like in interviews and everything. It never once, like you said, he never once said that he wanted out of St. Louis. He always right. said he loved it in St. Louis. He he loves playing here and everything else. So that was kind of like a thing that I was like, what's what's all this about? I, I didn't I didn't really understand the whole situation be with Tarasenko and everything with wanting to trade. Yeah, well, it's you're right about it being the doctors. And whenever those sorts of stories come up, and remember Doug Armstrong said he was made aware of it right after the season ended. It's always the agent. It's always the agent. Whenever you see a trade request, sources close to a player say that uh, a player wants a trade. It's always the agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I uh, I'm gonna have to get going here pretty soon. Uh, I gotta get work. I gotta go to work here in a little bit. Uh, okay. And I'm out with family as well, and I gotta get stuff back to my house before I go to work. Um, so I don't know if you guys wanted to just end it here or if you want to talk a little got, bit, Josh, with them. I got one blues question. I got one radio question. You okay. got it. All right. So what's your stance on Colton Pareko? What does he need to do this season besides be the guy he was when Jabo was on the team? Can he get there? And is that one of the worst contracts Army's had in the last five years? It's not a bad contract. But we tend to mischaracterize Colton Pareko. Number one, he's never going to be Chris Pronger. And right. Prongs said on our show last year, he said, hey, quit comparing him to me. He's never going to be me. That's not who he is. But last year after the All-Star break, actually when Letty got here, he was plus 32. 
after the All-Star break. Led the league with a plus 32. He's a really good player, but he's that unusual guy that we all expect because he's being paid like a number one to be a number one, and the Blues signed him with the expectation of being a number one. But to be a number one, he has to have a quality partner, like a Bowmeister or a Letty. So my confidence level in Pareko for this year is high because he does have the the right guy playing with him. I just hope he shoots more because he's got a freaking cannon at the end of his stick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't disagree. But the Blues' problem last year was not scoring enough goals. It, they scored enough goals, and it would be great if he would shoot it more and score more or break some ankles, but he, it's just not who he is. In fact, I tweeted last year at one point that it was, it was a shame because Al McInnes was never afraid of breaking an ankle and right. that it looked like Pareko was. And Al actually uh, quote tweeted it and said, yeah, you're right, I was never afraid of breaking an ankle. And that it would be nice, but I, I think – Colton is such a nice guy that he's genuinely concerned about the health and well-being of the people that he's playing against. Yep, for sure. All right, so my last question that I had, um, this is kind of a radio question. It's a two-parter. Okay. So I, I always listen to you guys, and I would always listen to McKernan and Ajax uh, after you guys in the balloon party. And McKernan always talks about you. I don't know if you get to listen to his show or not. Now and then, yeah. So he always talks about how you guys talk. His memory is like impeccable from what 82 or 86 on. Your memory is on a whole different level, in my opinion, from that, especially when you guys do your trivia that I've tried to get into and I never could get in on. Um, <laughs> what are you doing to make your brain so strong where you can remember all these little details from these minute minutes and games from 30 and 40 years ago where you can pull them up and your recollection's so clear and crisp and your details are so on point? How are you well, doing that? Okay, let, let's start with this. With Tim, Tim's memory is different than mine because Tim is so great about remembering like specific dates, September 24th of 1990 and, and things that happened and, and specific seasons and things like that. He is. He's, he, he's, got, he's a brilliant guy, and, and he does have a, a great memory. My thing is, is I, there's just such a high level of consumption over the years. When I was a kid, we had two newspapers in St. Louis. The morning newspaper was the St. Louis Globe Democrat, and the afternoon newspaper was the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And then we had tons of magazines. Didn't have the internet yet, so I got Sport Magazine. I got Sports Illustrated, Inside Sports, the Sporting News, Football Digest, Baseball Digest, read it all, and have a relatively high level of comprehension from reading and watching games over the years. It's, I tell people it's really the only gift that I have. If the fight was about geography or history or math, I'm screwed. But I, I do remember sports things. And th that's why is that there's just a, such a high level of consumption and I, I retain a, a pretty good level of it. And it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a photographic thing a lot of times with, that I, I just I, – a question will be asked and it will just pop up in my mind. But that's, that's how it works. I mean, you're just impeccable, man. I, I've listened – Oh, so many of those fights. And I'm like, how does this guy do this? It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it, you just – you never never stop to impress me on that. I mean, you rarely ever lose. I mean, rarely ever do you lose. And it's just I, – I, I'm always in shock by your memory. I'm glad you get a kick out of it. It's, it. it's a fun segment. It's actually our most listened-to segment on the show, and I'm glad you tune into it and enjoy it. 
Well, um, since Brandon's got to go, uh, we'll do we'll get you out of here, Randy. We greatly appreciate you coming on. If you ever want to come on and talk blues hockey with Brandon, obviously I'm sure he's got an open invite with you. If you ever want to come talk baseball with Logan and I, we would it would floor us if you want to come on and talk specifically Cardinals or if you want to talk MLB. Um, I'm sure we can reach out to you later. But again, thank you so much for coming on, spending the evening with us, taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, Brandon, sure. you got anything else? No, uh, yeah, Randy. I, as Josh said, I we we all from the uh, Variety Sports Network. We greatly appreciate you coming on today, talking uh, Cardinals and Blues with us. Uh, surely, we hope to probably have you on more in the in the future. Uh, it was great talking with you. I know you probably enjoyed coming on, talking with us as well. Uh, I'll be sure to. Tell the family all you said hi and everything. But, Thank you uh, very much. I, I appreciate that. For sure. But, yeah, uh, greatly appreciate you. Come on. It was a fun. I, I deeply enjoyed having you on and talking with you tonight. Uh, but yeah, that's all That's all I got, really. Great. It was great, great being with you guys. And enjoy this. The best time of year with hockey getting started and with baseball playoffs and football in full swing and the weather outside and the golf. It doesn't get any better than this, so enjoy it. We'll you guys make sure you check out Randy Character on 101 ESPN in the mornings from 7 to 10. Uh, thanks so much and have a great evening. You too, guys.